You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast Storage Sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast Storage Sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Monster House presents Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Wales is a country in the United Kingdom. Like Scotland, it's part of the same island as England and shares a complex history with the other parts of the UK. Karen went looking for someone to help us learn more about monsters from Wales, and she came up with artist Cole Ellis. Cole has a new book out in July called Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts, a guide to the legendary creatures from Celtic Welsh myth and legend. It's a simply gorgeous collection of art depicting monsters from Welsh folklore, along with a short prose tale about each of the illustrated creatures. I believe in the interview that we thought the book was going to have a July release, but it looks like on Amazon that they're saying it's going to be out in August. Regardless, it's a book that you can pre-order right now, and you're going to want to snag it if you're the sort of person who likes beautiful illustrations of monsters or knows someone who does. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, Cole Ellis. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I am a fantasy artist from Wales, and I specialize in depicting mythical creatures from different cultures but my main focus recently has been on welsh mythical creatures their art's gorgeous beautiful karen how did you how did you find them we like to look at uh, monsters and cryptids and creatures all around the world and we've spoken to people about uh, 
uh, Irish monsters and mm-hmm. English monsters. And we thought oh, it's about time we look at some Welsh monsters. So I just Googled Welsh monsters and you came up. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's brilliant. So it, it, it all worked out. And, uh, yeah, your book is just beautiful. We oh, really need to urge our listeners to go and check it out, Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts. And I believe it's just being released now? It's, um, I think it's coming out uh, It's coming out on the 2nd of July this year. Oh, fantastic. Oh, it's pre-order. I see the pre-order link yeah. now. <laughs> you can pre-order it from most bookshops. Yeah, which is perfect, I think. Yeah, so we'll have a, a link in the show notes uh, so you can go pick this up. Cole, how did you become interested in monsters and what motivated you to write this book? Um, well, I think I've always been really interested in mythical creatures ever since I was a kid. Um, just anything to do with monsters and mythology and dragons, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved <laughs> reading The Hobbit when I was a kid as well. Um, and as I got sort of, I was a teenager, I was introduced to Lord of the Rings as well. And I absolutely loved that. Um, but yeah, I noticed... Um, when I was going on holiday to places like like Iceland or Norway and stuff, I was I was seeing so many books on the local mythology, um, and a lot of the time when people come to Wales and they go to the tourist spots here, you don't really have that much. There, there's some, um, and that what's available is good, but there isn't that much that contains a lot of art and visuals to go with it. Um, so I thought that you know that somebody needed to to create something that when somebody is visiting Wales, they could learn a little bit about the the mythology and the culture. If I wanted to go to Wales, where would I go? Where is Wales? Uh, Wales, <laughs> is, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a part of the United Kingdom, um, and it is on the the West Coast, sort of between Ireland and the England. Gotcha. Okay. So we'll put a map as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Well, I was joking. I'm from New South Wales in Australia, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we Welsh is a really interesting language. It's been uh, endangered for quite some time now. Um, I um, have read about uh, colonization and the English basically trying to stamp out uh, the use of Welsh and all kinds of punishments for kids and things like that. Um, but I think, yeah, we just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Welsh language before we get into these Sure. For us, difficult pronunciations of some of these dragons. (laughs) I'm a a learner myself, um, so I'm not a fluent speaker, but I can definitely help with the pronunciations. Uh, What kind of monsters are in your book and how did did you make the selection on what to include? Um, Well, it sort of started off as like a a small project where I was sort of just documenting Welsh mythical creatures. Um, And at the time I worked um, for this company called The Night Shop in Conway. And we had an awful lot of customers coming in. And when they sort of got wind of what I was doing, because we were sort of talking about it, more and more people were sort of coming in with local stories. And they're like, oh, have you heard about the Avank? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't heard about that one. And, and they sort of came in with all this information. They said, oh, you have to look this up. And and I, they, I, they just kept bringing things in every so often. I was like, oh, there's, there's yeah. so much here than, than what I realized. Um mm-hmm. So I just started writing it all down. I was thinking there isn't anything available which sort of documents these specific creatures. And it would be so cool to have like a little guidebook or something. Um, Mm. So I just I kickstarted like a small guidebook um, and it did way beyond what I expected it to on uh, on Kickstarter. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Fantastic. 
And then after that, it just kept growing. I had more and more people then sending me messages going, oh, there's one from my local town. Oh, there's, there's this one and this one that, you know, I hadn't even heard of. And I was thinking, oh, I could make an even bigger book. <laughs> so a couple of years <laughs> later, I just decided to sort of redo it properly, um, like as a, as, a, as, a, as a bigger book with more things in. Um, and I did that again on Kickstarter mm -hmm. and it did even better, which was which was a huge surprise. Wow. Um, and then I got in touch with a publisher in Canada um, called Eye of Newt um, Publishing and they wanted to, to publish it, basically. So it sort of spiraled. It, it sort of started off as like a little sort of hyper-focused passion project and it just sort of spiraled out of control <laughs> um, but in the best possible way it's it's just been it's been fascinating to see how many people were were interested in Welsh mythology and just how many people abroad were really interested there's there's been a lot of people in the US in Canada in in Norway as well surprisingly um who've oh. wanted to learn about it yeah, so there, just, there's so much interest in folklore right now, which is great, and and I, I like that people are keeping even in this digital age, it's actually helping keep the stories alive mm -hmm. and spreading them all over. So, mm -hmm. yeah, well, that's yeah. that's the thing. A lot of these stories were either told by word of mouth by sort of local people, or they were very fragmented. Um, so I was sort of traipsing through books and things, trying to piece together what little there was of each legend some of the pages in the book aren't very long there'll be like a couple of passages because that's literally all i could find on that specific creature whereas others have got like a whole page or two pages dedicated to them because i've been able to scrounge all kinds of um little snippets of information on them um but again it just depended what i could find um and the thing is i'm still finding more um, so I definitely, there'll, there'll definitely be more stuff in the future, I think. Um, but this is what I managed it's to equal. find at the time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's, it's such a beautiful book and uh, it's really, it needed to be written. So it's fantastic. You were the person to do that. And uh, I think we should start talking about some Welsh monsters. And uh, when I think of Wales, I always think of the Welsh flag and the beautiful red dragon on the flag. Yeah, I think it's the the one that most people would associate straight away. If 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 you know where Wales is and what Wales is, you would you would know of the red dragon or a dragoch as we call it. Um, but the the interesting thing is that there's there's so many other types of dragon associated with Wales um, that people wouldn't necessarily have known about. Um, there's the story as well of of the the red and the white dragon. That's usually the first one that people are introduced to. Um, at least that's the one I learned about in school. Um, but I didn't know about other sort of dragon-like creatures in Welsh mythology. There's there's the Avanc, there's the Gwibir, um, there's Cockatrice as well, or Seliog Nedir. I think I pronounced that right. People will probably correct me, but that's okay. Um, which is basically like a, like a Cockatrice. <laughs> Let's assume our, our listeners haven't heard about the Red Dragon Um what, what is, is there like a, a like a classic story about this creature? Like, why is it associated with whales? Um, there's a there's a quite a long history as to sort of how the red dragon ended up on the flag, um, and that's sort of a sort of separate story. But one of the the main sort of legends in Wales was that um, there was a a king, King Vortigern, who was trying to um, build a castle in this sort of area of North Wales called um, 
Dines Emrys, um, which is near Bedgelet. I don't know if anybody's been there. It's, it's usually it's quite a popular um, tourist spot, but people really like to go there because it's okay. quite beautiful. Um, and basically, he's, he's sort of trying to build this uh, this fort on the mountain, and the fort keeps falling down. Um, and I, I'm going to try and say, hopefully, I pronounce it right. It's Methin, um, who is basically Merlin. Um, discovers that there are two dragons sleeping underneath the uh, the foundations in a in a cave, and they keep fighting. Um, and there's a red one and a white one, and they sort of they sort of escape and get out, and they start flying around and attacking each other. Um, and basically, the the red one eventually sort of wins out and sort of scares away the white one. Um, and that was sort of a a prophecy almost of the the welsh sort of fighting off the anglo-saxons so that's that story was is probably the most famous one to do with the uh with the red dragon so i didn't see this in the list but when i think about monsters of wales uh and i'm not sure this is even exactly a monster but it sort of is is the puka oh yes yeah that that was a really interesting one because I hadn't heard about that one until I started writing the book um, and somebody sort of came to me with information about it. Um, it seems to be more of a an Irish legend, but they it's sort of there's a lot of crossover between Irish mythology and uh, Welsh mythology. And this is definitely one of them because it's sort of pronounced the same way. It's sort of spelt differently. So in in Ireland, I think I think it's spelt with a with an O and in Wales, it's spelt with a W. Um, so it's P-W-C-A. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Neat, neat. <laughs> and it, I think they're very similar creatures. They're they're like a shape-shifting creature. It kind of, like, nobody really knows what its normal form looks like. Um, but some sort of say that it looks like a, le- like a lemur with wings or something, with these sort of long mm. fingers. Um, the only thing that sort of gives them away, apparently, is that they have red eyes um, or jet black or bright white fur. But they are they are absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Have you ever seen the the American movie Harvey? No, no, I haven't. Sorry. It, it's a Jimmy Stewart comedy, and I, I don't know what year it came out, but it, it's a, a black and white. I, but it's about a guy who's become entangled with a puka, ah. and and it, it's he's the only person who can see it, and it, okay. he see he sees it as a human sized talking rabbit, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a really it's a very very funny movie but it introduced me to the puka as i was i must have been like seven or eight when i saw that movie i just loved it who's harvey a white rabbit six feet tall six feet six feet three and a half inches now let's stick to the facts well anyway i was walking down along the street and i i heard this voice saying good evening mr dog well i i turned around and here was this big six-foot rabbit leaning up against a lamppost I thought nothing of that, because when you've lived in a town as long as I've lived in this one, you get used to the fact that everybody knows your name. In most mythologies, I think they, they like like most shape changes, they, they are tricksters. They like exactly. to mm-hmm. teach you lessons uh, uh, and play pranks on you, and yeah, they're, they're quite interesting characters. A creature that I was interested in looking through your book that's, I guess, related to the, the dragons, and I'm mm-hmm. sure I won't be pronouncing this correctly at all, because with Welsh, spelling and pronunciation don't always seem to match. The, the glider, the flying, flying viper. Yep, yep. It's a, a guibir. That's a, a terrifying looking creature. <laughs> they're, they're basically like a like a, a 
an adder or like a like a like a British adder. We don't have that many venomous snakes here in the UK. Um, but the only one we have is is an adder. So they were sort of quite feared. Um, and the the idea of a guibir is an adder that has grown absolutely enormous and sort of turned into a dragon. So it's sort of it's grown wings. It's grown in huge venomous creature basically and they, they are quite mm-hmm. quite scary i've been to the the area where the like one of the legends comes from um Penmachno, um and that that whole area mm-hmm. is is quite spooky it's a, it's quite sort of overbearing and and there's all these trees and this this deep ravine um so you can definitely see mm-hmm. how that inspired that legend the guibir of Penmachno. There's a valley in Wales called Wibbernant, which means the Valley of the Gwibir. In that valley, there lived an aged and monstrous Gwibir, and the people in the area were quite afraid of it. A man named Owen, whose name also was Owen the Prince, heard of the monstrous winged serpent and decided to try and defeat the beast. But he was not a fool, and he decided to seek the wisdom of an old wise man named Rhys Dewin whose name means either ardent wizard or perhaps fire wizard. Owen went to the old man and asked if he stood a chance in battle against this beast. But the old man eyed him up and down and spoke a prophecy, saying that if Owen tried to fight the Gwibir, it would surely bite him and he would die. Well, this was a grim foretelling, but Owen was not sure that he could believe the old man's prediction. So to test his powers, he put on a disguise and came back the next day dressed as a peasant and asked once again of the old man, If I combat the Gwibir, will I prevail? No, said the old man. If you fight this beast, you will surely fall and break your neck on the rocks of the valley. Confused by this new prediction and still somewhat racked with doubt, he came back a third time the following day, this time wearing the outfit of a miller, his clothing dusted with flour. Old man, tell me truly, if I go and fight the Gwibir, will I win? No, said the old man. If you go and battle that beast, you will surely be cast into the river and drown. Now Owen felt his confidence surge. Surely this old man was a fraud, for he had come to him three times asking for an augury, and each time had been given different horrible fates. With that in mind, he went off to the valley to fight the beast. Emboldened by his new sense of confidence, he surged into battle and was quickly bit by the poisonous beast. In shock, he stumbled backwards and then tumbled head over hill down the valley into the walls and rocks, breaking his neck, before finally rolling into the river where he quickly drowned. Some say that Owen's friends, upon finding his lifeless, drowned body, ganged up and tried to kill the Gwibir only to see it flee down into the river where it can still be found today from time to time, looking up from the watery depths with malevolent eyes. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting just reading about them and how they they prey on fish and sheep and goats and even people. Uh Yep. (laughs) Yeah, a flying adder. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> a lot of people already have a, a fear of snakes, as we've talked about frequently on the on the show. And then uh, to mm-hmm. add in flying is, uh, yeah, that's an unnecessary modification. Extra powers. <laughs> I'd like to register a complaint. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that that's one of the most uh, one of the most common legends across Wales, actually, because I know that they were also sort of talk, talked about in South Wales, um, and I believe that there were delays to building Cardiff International Airport because people didn't want to disturb the Gwibias that lived in the field. Well, you don't want them flying yeah. into the engines; it'll mess things up. So. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and so yeah, they were up up to forty feet in length. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These are really big. This is not just like oh yeah. Like, oh, you can get really tiny ones and really big ones. <laughs> they just keep growing. That is amazing. Little baby ones, cute <laughs> ones. Do, well, I, I don't. Did you happen? Do people spot them? I mean, do people see them today? Um, some people say that they do. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's always going to be an elephant. I know in in Iceland, some people are very very. Mm, um, mm-hmm. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Uh, protective <laughs> over over areas where the you know the there's elves. It's, so yeah, um, yeah. there's certain places you're not allowed to build ro- roads and things like that. And I know there's there's definitely areas here where people you know where they they are very superstitious and they they do definitely um, definitely believe in these things. So. And that's why I, I thought it was very important to be respectful when depicting them. Um, is, do you think that that's a generational thing or do you think that it really crosses um, age brackets and, and that it's I'm, kind of a, a mythology that's just really steeped in the, the tradition of the country? I think it, a lot of it is sort of steeped in tradition and sort of word of, ma- word of mouth. I, I know that on Anglesey, some of um, on the, the Isle of Anes uh, Morn, a lot of my friends have sort of talked about these sort of little folk tales that they were told growing up. And it's like, oh, don't go near the the um, the rivers or the ponds late at night because a Slamhig and a Dur will get you. <laughs> and there's all these little little sort of folk legends and, and things associated with um with Halloween as well, sort of growing up that they would sort of tell me about that they would sort of do sort of every year. Um, so there are these little little folk traditions and these little sort of word of mouth things that get passed down. What was that creature that you just mentioned? Uh, they are basically like um, like frogs, um, but they're, they can grow absolutely enormous <laughs> again. <laughs> Flamiga nadur, or the water leaper, is an amphibian, large, frog-like creature with bat-like wings and horns. Its youthful form still sports a tail. There are lots of stories of these clever little animals stealing food from fishermen sitting on the banks of waterways, but they also have a darker side and are said to attack and devour small livestock like goats and sheep or even domesticated pets that come too near the water leaper's habitat. According to folklore, you can kill these monsters with conventional weapons. But if you see flying horned frogs while visiting scenic whales, it's probably best to give them a wide berth and go fishing elsewhere. Could you say it again? I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm saying that right. So I you know, normally you would like with Dur you would you would roll your R at the end and I I can't I just can't do it unfortunately. So I used to live in in rural Australia, and there was uh, a, a town called Armadale in New South Wales, and um, there was a little town nearby, a lot of Welsh names yeah, uh, and, and Welsh people who moved out there too. But this little town was Langothlan uh, ah. with a double L. And, yeah. yeah, some of the there's a, a Langothlan here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was named after that, like uh, lots of parts of New South Wales. But uh, yeah, it's a, a very interesting language and um, 
certainly the, the place names uh, can be quite a mouthful. Well, a British weatherman has become a social media star following a report he gave this week. Check out this tongue twister. Now today we had a big contrast in temperature across the UK, just 12 degrees over coastal parts of eastern England with cloudy skies, but in the sunshine in northwest Wales at RAF Mona, just up the road from the temperature got to 21 Celsius at 70 in Fahrenheit. Did you catch that? A sentence, not a word, right? Well, that was Channel 4's Liam Dutton nailing the pronunciation of the Welsh village with a 58-character name. I don't know why the colonials all wanted to rename new places with the old names. That's so strange. Like, I can't imagine going to Mars and I'm like, aha, this is New Kennesaw. What? <laughs> it makes it quite interesting when you're, when you're sort of Googling or looking up the town where you live. Like, if I type Bangor, uh, uh-huh. um, which is where I'm, where, where I'm originally from, um, if I type that into, into Google, it'll come up with one. Uh, I think on the coast of England, but also in America somewhere. Exactly. In Maine, yeah. So it's, it's just like, oh, so which which one do you mean? Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> There's three different ones oh. to pick from. And, and, the, and the one in Maine is uh, Stephen King country. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, and I think it's uh, adventurers going to places and saying, oh, this reminds me of this particular place. And, yeah. And, uh, seeing similarities between places. But, yeah, you get that so much in Australia and, uh, and in America too. Lots of places mm. named after English towns and cities. It, it is amazing how much we reuse the names. Uh, and, and again, it, these monsters, you know, they, they, the, the whole category of dragon, you know, has got a kind of a global footprint. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, so we've yeah, definitely. talked about that before, but you also draw a lot of fairy type creatures. Can, can you talk about some of that a little bit? I did for this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was absolutely fascinating sort of looking into those because I didn't realize that there were so many different, types of welsh fairy um they are sort of sort of under a, an umbrella term um i'm hoping i'm going to say this right is twith tag um and they're basically the fair folk and there's different types of fair folk um, there's some that live in the mountains there's the elves there's mine fairies there's there's fairies that live in your house um and there's there's ones that live under the water and mountain dwelling ones and they've all they're all quite distinct and interesting and vary quite massively in size and appearance. Um I think one what of can the I ones ask which, a... Oh sorry. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. 
Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our whole yeah. show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Oh, sorry, I was just going to ask about the mind. Would these be cold mines there? Yeah, yeah. Coal mines or coal and slate and gold. Um, and ah, okay. they, um, I don't know. I think they they sort of took this one over to America when they went over. Um, that it was called a buka in Welsh, but also known as a knocker. Oh, the Tommy knockers. Uh, they, yeah, yeah. They they'd knock on walls to sort of oh. warn you about that you were getting a bit too close to their nests. Or the, the the cave was about to cave in. They would sort of apparently knock on the walls to sort of warn you that that's going to happen. Yeah. And it's quite interesting how that legend sort of went over to the U.S. It is. There's a lot of really creepy mine lore. Yeah, it's it's a creepy job. So, yeah, and dangerous. Being absolute we should do a show black. on that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite scary. A lot of my fears, though, like this show is <laughs> – <laughs> There's a running theme on this show of this show's based on things that scared the crap out of us when we were kids. And I'll, Karen, That's how it started. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Karen and I both read a lot of, you know, spooky books when we were growing up. And I remember one I read was Amazing Real Life Coincidences. And there was a whole section in there that had coincidences around um, people being in mines and hearing voices telling them stop go 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 get out now you know that kind of thing and it's like it saved their life but they have no idea whose voice mm-hmm. it was and i, I love those That's stories because you don't know if they're real or not but also like some people say that in times of crisis you can your own subconscious can be telling you to do stuff that's sound advice but it doesn't feel like it's coming from within you like you've become disassociated from yourself in this terrible terrible scary time yeah. so i don't know what the mm-hmm. truth is but i i yeah. do find those stories fascinating and creepy so you're making me think of uh, a friend when I was in high school who was uh, traveling on a bus one day uh, to somewhere in Sydney and heard a voice screaming in his ear telling him to get off the bus right now. Mm-hmm. So he did. And absolutely nothing happened. That was it. He couldn't find the source. I mean, there were people on, around him who were asleep or on their phones. Um, so he didn't know where it came from. But, yeah, absolutely nothing came of it. So I always uh, – just think about that story is just the kind of mundanity of, of these kinds of coincidences. But mm. it, I'd imagine it'd be a pretty creepy thing to have something like that happen. You'd think it would have to be an omen of some kind. Mm, that's quite creepy. <laughs> um, when I was looking at your mm. art, I noticed that you had an, a creature that I've seen before in some kinds of festivals. And it's this horse, okay. horse headed creature or horse skull. Ah, yeah, the um, the Mary Lloyd. Yeah, wait. Yeah. Have you seen those? In, have you seen those in live reenactments or live festivals or anything? Uh, I I haven't yet, unfortunately. I, I I was meaning to finally go um, last year, but unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to make it. Um, but it's something I really want to go and see. Um, I've even got my own horse skull in the studio. It's it's sat right behind me. Um, <laughs> And that that one is it's it's more sort of associated with South Wales, but there is an an Asmon, um, Mary Lloyd as well, um, which sort of comes out every year. So I, I would absolutely love to go and see it and go and sort of take part in the festivities what, and things. What, what, what are the festivities like? I mean, what do we? I don't. I'm, I'm assuming 
most of our audience has probably never even heard of this creature, but uh, I'll put we, I don't I, I don't want to put your art into our show notes, but I'll put a link to your page so people can see what, what we're talking about here. But it's a, a, a sort of a human and in the in the reenactments or whatever these festivals are, it's a person in a costume with a giant horned horse skull on their head and robes and stuff. Yeah, some, sometimes it has horns, sometimes it has bells hanging from it. Uh, sometimes they'll put mistletoe around its head or holly or, or rowan berries. It just, it depends on what sort of significance necessarily sort of goes with with what they're celebrating or what they're trying to do. Um, sort of rowan berries would be seen as a, as a sign of protection against sort of evil spirits and things like that. So you sort of you could make sort of crown of it over the top of the of the creature um basically it's a person in a with a pole with the the skull attached to a pole and they sort of articulate the mouth with a string um with a white sheet over them and there's a couple of different ideas of where this came from um there's a couple of different legends as well that surround it one of them was that uh it was um the the mare that was sort of kicked out of the stable um, when when uh, Jesus was born, they they sort of kicked this mare who was about to give birth out of the stable so that Mary could. Um, and basically, she's wandering the the land trying to find a safe place to give birth to her foal. Um, and that's that's probably the saddest one that I've heard. Um, sort of other ones mm. were sort of like. Um, um, again, they, they get that sort of plays into how she sort of knocks on doors and she's trying to gain entry um, to to get food. And if there's the, like this um, sort of back and forth between people, so they'll she'll sort of sing a song and the people around her will sort of sing a song, and then the other person in the house will have to sing one back, sort of saying why they don't want to let her in. And then eventually there's a, this sort of back and forth until eventually you you have to let her in, and they just have sort of like a party in your house. <laughs> It's usually done in a pub these days, though. Just lovely illustrations, and uh, I'm looking at the pictures of the the water fairies now, and uh, oh, I yeah. find them really interesting. It seems like they're predominantly women. Mm. Um, yeah, you definitely get male ones and as the, well. And oh, okay, you can. Well, yeah. what I found uh, interesting is that they're actually kind of wise women or mm-hmm. cunning women or healers as well. Yeah, can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? What's quite interesting is that they they usually they would teach people things. So a lot of the time when people came across these sort of water fairies, um, they would teach them skills or they would, um, again, sometimes they would marry into human families and the oh. the children that they had would, would end up being quite intelligent or, or end up becoming doctors or physicians and things like that. And they again, it might be one of those things where they'd explain someone being sort of remarkably talented or or exceptional as being part fairy. You mentioned the book, the Mabinogian. Is that right, Mabinogian? Uh, it's basically a. It's two different books. So there's the red book and the white book, um, which again will sound quite familiar for if you're a Tolkien fan. Um, and there's the the oh, there's two different books, and basically they are a collection of stories from Welsh folklore, um, sort of including an awful lot of Arthurian legend. 
a beautiful um, uh, illustrated version of the Mabinogion by um, Alan Lee. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, again, one of the artists who worked on the Lord of the Uh Rings films. Yeah. Um, And his artwork is absolutely gorgeous. I've got it as part of my collection as well. I'm looking at the mermaids now, so the the Morgan. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about them and are they related to other kinds of mermaids in other cultures? It is very, very similar to sort of mermaids from other cultures. Um, These are a little bit different. Sometimes they're sort of like mermaids um, and they have tails. Sometimes they don't. They can, again, they're kind of shapeshifters. Um, Some of them... They, they, these these ones are sort of particularly associated with being able to manipulate water, um, and they can sort of, sort of be associated with uh, with floods and heavy rain. A- apparently, they were sort of renowned for sort of having relationships with fishermen and then sort of leaving the babies on the shore for the fishermen to raise. Mm-hmm. And then when the child uh-huh. reached, reached ad- adulthood, they would return to their family in the water, which again, it is, is quite similar to the sort of Selkie legends um, from Ireland. So wait, so, so they, they, they grow up and then they go to school. Okay. It's another pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Fish school. Yeah. <laughs> And so you talk about their um, their villages as well as they're they're decorated with jewels and with coins and crystals. Yeah, they'd be sort of described uh, guess... as having these very very ornate underwater cities, which is which was a fascinating thing to research and and to look into because I I didn't know about any of this before I started looking into it and reading about them. I'm too Oh, 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 I've got to know. Okay, I feel terrible because like every, every one of these I can't read. It's like I see the letters, but they seem intimidating to me. Twert, 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 twert like the, oh. the boar, the giant boar. Now, this, this one I do really struggle to pronounce, um, and I don't know if I'm just trying to... Just trying to dig him out. Where is it? Looks he? like Torch Truth almost. That's probably that's Tours Tourith, I think. Again, looks, if, if people that would, sounds plausible. <laughs> yeah. If people would correct me, that would be great. Because again, I, I am a learner. I'm not a fluent speaker. This is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no it's, worries. It's better than we could attempt. Yeah. I, I was fluent as a child, but it's something which, um, which unfortunately, I when oh. I, I I moved away when I was about six years old, um, and then sort of moved back to to North Wales, and I'm now living in North Wales again now. Um, was it your sort of, first language? Uh, no, no, English was my first language, but I went to a Welsh school, so it was all Welsh yeah. speaking. So it made yes. it interesting then going to an English school speaking Welsh and getting very confused. Mm-hmm. This was an Irish prince that later became a total bore. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but he sounds like, I mean, it, the picture you've drawn, he's like pierced with arrows. And it says his uh, his uh, razor hair is like poisonous. It sounds like a, quite a curse. He's sort of covered in these poisonous quills that if they sort of brushed against you, they they poison you. Um, and he's sort of uh, talked about in the Mavinogi on the collection of stories. Um, I think he's... Yeah. Mentioned in the, the Red Book of Her Guest. Yeah, it says he was uh, actually, I guess, driven out by King Arthur himself. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Driven off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's very biblical. Uh, yeah, that's something. <laughs> Another uh, creature I was interested in and 
again that I can't pronounce that the angel of death. Oh yeah. Uh Angeli Store. And but it Gilles- seems like it's a Halloween legend. Yeah, Angelistor. Um I think that's again, I hopefully I said that correctly. <laughs> um that one's quite a scary one that, that I found out that's that's not too far. That's um in the town of Conway, uh in North Wales, where it's basically this this mm-hmm. there's this old yew tree which is apparently a portal to another world. Um and each Halloween this uh this sort of angel of death, this this spirit would come out of the tree and sort of make its way into the church and sort of stand at the the pew and just sort of like recite all the names of the people who were going to die that year. So mm. there'd be this sort of uh, people would sort of dare each other to sort of go to the go to the graveyard and sort of wait to see if anything happened. And there's this particular story of a man, um, I think called Sean Sean, um, who uh, mm. again went to the went to the graveyard and saw it and and sort of. Um, and had his name called out and died sort of within that year. So it's it's, it's quite a few stories surrounding that, which are quite scary. And is that a, a popular spot for legend tripping today? It was very much sort of like a local legend. Um, and sort of people would I see. hear about it from word of mouth. And, and occasionally there'd be like little books um, that would mention mm. it as well. There'd be this, this one book called, um, I think, Rumours and Oddities from North Wales. And I think it, it's mentioned in there. Um, and there's just like little little hints about it, but you wouldn't necessarily know unless you spoke to local people and they told you about that particular story. I think it would be a very popular thing if there was a, a legend like that around here. And uh, I, it makes me think too that at some point these legends could be resurrected, certainly through your book as, as well, uh, and with people starting to tell them again and mm. to share them and maybe to, to do that kind of thing. Which is good for tourism. I, I know that there's a lot of uh, a lot of tourism around um, around Conway, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I don't think I would be brave enough <laughs> brave enough to go. I know they do Halloween walks and things every every year, and I think they actually do include the graveyard ah. in those Halloween walks. But yeah, they well, normally want to before midnight. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. I, I like the, uh, the the black dog. Black yeah, dog? a Gwilgi. Gwilgi. Okay. Oh. So the second G's hard. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, but this this fits right into uh, black dog lore all over England. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess all over the UK mm-hmm. for that matter. It's it's a pretty yeah. There's definitely a lot of black dog legends from around the UK. I, I, I love your artwork though. You've you've incorporated uh, like what do they call it? Triskelons and spirals and stuff into the stonework. Uh, Oh yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like some traditional Kel- like Celtic symbols in there, old old sort of Britonic symbols, which I thought was quite fun. It seems like you have kind of alien big cats as well, which oh yeah, we get a lot of stories of those in in the states and in Australia too. Mm. Lots had a lot of, of those um, recently. Urban legends about. Mm. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, a lot of people a... seeing pumas. Apparently, that's been. I think there's, a, there's even a website dedicated to it called Puma Watch, where people can report sightings of uh, of pumas in North Wales. It's been quite interesting watching what's been going on. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've certainly dealt with that a lot on this show too. Um, and uh, I know in Australia um, that there were stories of uh, or claims that American soldiers had brought pumas into the country mm. uh, during World War Two, and just left them there or mascots and uh maybe that they brought along claims of the thylacine 
everywhere in Australia still. It's one of those animals I really want to still be alive. I feel pretty confident that they were wiped yeah, out. But it would be nice it, if they were still They're here, so interesting. They, they, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. – I just – I'm fascinated by – all of the marsupials are such interesting animals mm. and, and except we have the, in America, we have the opossum, the Virginia opossum, uh, which I think actually came mm. up from South America, but I think that's the only marsupial that got stuck here uh, on the, on the Americas when, when Australia mm. decided to go on a walkabout. Fee-fi-fo-fum. 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 Did want to ask about the uh, the giants, and I'll oh, let you pronounce the Kuri. <laughs> so, oh, those those um, were fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating to look into because they they varied so dramatically in size. All the different stories I found about them, they could just be a very very tall human, or they could literally mm-hmm. be the size of a mountain. They they could use a mountain mm-hmm. as a throne. Um, and again, sometimes they were shapeshifters. They they had like a sort of more monstrous form, or they had a more humanoid form. Um, and um, they they are again they're mentioned in the Mabinogion as well. Um, and they so they, again they they have quite a mixed like a lot of the creatures in the book. They have a quite a mixed um, sort of type of stories that are told about them sometimes they're described as as quite barbaric and 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 um and monstrous and others describe them as having interesting culture and having you know being skilled warriors and poets so there's, there's a very big distinction between like you can you can see where sort of christianity sort of came in and sort of sort of retelling some of the stories and sort of demonizing nice. some of the some of the um of the creatures so there's this sort of this shift in tone sometimes when you're reading about them. Sometimes they're described as very intelligent, very fascinating, that they'd they'd be sort of like um, quite helpful towards humans. And then there'd be these very, very dramatic differences where they'd be described as demons. And and you see that mm-hmm. in the, the story of the, um, the Kain Konanun, which are the, the hounds of the Anun. Um, and that is the, the origin of the hellhound legend, the, these these sort of spiritual oh. hounds that would would follow the wild hunt um, with the sort of the fairy kings from Anun, which is the, the Welsh otherworld. Um, and they would, mm. you can basically, you the, the closer they are to you, the quieter their barks would be, but the further away they were, the louder they'd be. So you wouldn't necessarily know mm. how close they were. It'd sound like they were leaving you alone, but that they'd suddenly be on you kind of thing. Um, Ooh, and that was, was scary. That, was, <laughs> that was a really interesting one to learn yeah. about because I, I didn't realize that that had sort of inspired the sort of hellhound narrative. Hounds are interesting because we, we see them as pets and that's really an easy way to think of them. But in less civilized times, it wasn't unusual to run into wild hounds. And uh, if you've ever been pursued by wild dogs, um, it is an unpleasant experience. And the, we have the word. I can't say that I yeah, have. Well, we, we've got the word hounded and we think yeah. of it that way. It's, it's still in our language, but it's not an experience most of us have had. But if I, I still remember like running into packs of bad dogs. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. That sounds yeah, scary. Matt, my, my husband uh, was out um, using a ski do or something in uh, uh, Colorado 
kind of uh, northern Colorado during winter and was attacked by a couple of very hungry, um, thin, mangled-looking coyotes or coyotes, Mm -hmm. whatever you prefer. So, yeah, he has a a scar on one of his hands from that attack. But um, pretty frightening thing to happen. Ever had anything like that? Touch wood? No, no, we don't really have that kind of thing here, so... Yeah. It's not something really we really worry about, to be honest. I didn't see Gog Magog uh, mentioned in your book, but the that Welsh giant lore is is quite famous. Uh, the the like, and I guess that is actually shows up in Geoffrey uh, of Monmouth's history, Regent Britannia. Um, I don't think I've actually heard of that one. Gog Magog. I couldn't talk about giants in the UK without throwing in a little background on the story of the giant known as Gog Magog. There are two stories about the giant's name's origins, but it seems likely that it comes from a Welsh tradition originally and so therefore merits a mention in this episode. The giant Gog Magog is mentioned briefly in Geoffrey of Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain, which was compiled in the 12th century. Now, despite its name, the book's actually a rather fanciful collection of hero narratives and royal accomplishments, and is now seen more as a work of literature than history, though it was long considered to be factual during its history as a reference book. In the story, there's a wrestling match between the giant Gog Magog and Corinius, a companion of Brutus of Troy. For those of you who are into researching how nationalist narratives tie ancient myths to far-slung nations, the character of Brutus is attempting to tie England with ancient Troy the same way that the Romans themselves claimed that their history lay there. It's also similar to how Joseph of Arimathea is claimed to have gone to Glastonbury. Corinius fights Gog Magog in a wrestling match and tosses him off of a rock in order to defeat him. Gog Magog represents the last of the giants that those heroes found living in the country of Albion, which we now call England. The name Gog Magog sounds suspiciously like the characters Gog and Magog mentioned in the book of Revelations. However, this itself seems to be a corruption of a reference in the biblical book of Ezekiel to a man named Gog from Magog. So if this is the correct etymology, the man from a place becomes a single name in Revelations and then becomes the name of a giant in English folklore. However... An 1860s annotated version of Monmouth's book above, by Manly Pope, suggests that the name Gog Magog may have been a corruption of the Welsh name Gar Madoc, or Madoc the Great. Regardless of the true origin, this legend was enough to inspire me to imagine a giant mechanical beast that could be activated during times of need to come to the aid of England, and I imagined that this monstrous construct might be housed in the tower that currently holds Big Ben, and so I named it Cog Cog and had an artist illustrate it. It's just a bit of silliness, but since I spent my five spot to have it drawn, I'm throwing it in the show notes for your amusement. Yeah, that, that's the interesting thing. I'm still sort of learning about all these different legends, so whenever something else pops up, I'm not that surprised. Well, it, it's a gorgeous book. Oh. I, I I think our listeners are really mm-hmm. going to love it. So um, each, each, each entry has uh, some oh. text and then this gorgeous artwork. Uh, is there going to be any uh, supplementary stuff? Are you going to, like, sell any prints from the book or any, or, you know, kind of get it on a I mug or do. whatever? So. 
I do have a couple of prints available on my website. So if people go over to my to my website, they can they can find a variety of shops there where I sell some prints with different mythical creatures on them. Outstanding. I, I, I would I would love to drink from Mary Lloyd. Sorry, oh. sorry. <laughs> I don't think I've got any mugs. Oh no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a good idea, though. I'll That's Cole, what's next for you? What are you working on now? At the moment, I've been sort of taking a little bit of a break and working on my portfolio, um, sort of learning how to draw people a little bit better. Um, okay. But I'm also working on a project which specifically explores Welsh dragons and dragon-like creatures. Um, and it's literally called Welsh dragons. Um, and that is what I'm working on, on at the moment. Um, I'm also working on a project with my publisher, which hopefully will be announced soon. I'm, I'm just sort of ironing out the contract with them at the moment. So unfortunately, I can't talk about it mm. just yet, but it will be something to do with dragons, um, particularly oh, Brit- cool. British dragons. Um, and that will be hopefully mm. getting announced soon, <laughs> which is quite exciting. Well, we'll stay tuned. <laughs> Good luck. For, <laughs> Thank for you. sure. So we'd like to... <laughs> We like to finish out our interviews with this terribly unfair question. Uh, what's your favorite monster? <laughs> oh, I think I think my one of my favorites is definitely the Gwibir. I think because it's it's probably one of the most scary, but it's also one of the ones that I really enjoy drawing because I quite like drawing mm-hmm. reptiles and snakes and scales and things like that. And I think yeah, the Gwibir is definitely one of my favorites. And, and remind us that's that's the one that's sort of toad like or. Uh, that's that's the one which is a snake. That oh, the snake that flies. A... Snake that flies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I also quite enjoy drawing the cockatrice because I like giving them quite derpy-looking faces, like quite funny eyes and funny expressions. I can sort of just yeah. imagine them being quite quite bird-like or quite chicken-like and just <laughs> just being quite funny. Nice. Mm. Yeah, and the, those are good answers and ones we haven't had on the show before. That's absolutely awesome. true. <laughs> Well, I thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I think our listeners are really good. They're going to love this. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard an interview with Cole Ellis author and illustrator of Welsh Monsters and Mythical Beasts. A link to the book's pre-order page is in the show notes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. 
Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as When Things Go Wrong, Legends of the Old West, and Food with Mark Bittman. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, why not take a minute and thank Karen on social media because she put a ton of work in making this one happen. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thanks for putting us in your ear holes like Mesopotamian ghosts. a Monster House presentation. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Save 